my name is Justin McClune. I'm here today with Will Sloan. And you're listening to the Important Cinema Club. And today we are talking Hisiyasu Sato, one of the four kings or four devils of pink films. That's what he's called in anything that's ever been written about him. One of the four devils of pink films and we'll get to what pink films are in a sec but i just want to say do you know who the other three are i've seen them on a list but when i read their names i did not recognize them which just shows how much familiarity i have with the pink genre okay so hisiyasu sato has made over 60 films pretty much exclusively in the pink or pinku genre which are japanese softcore erotica between 1988 and 1989 alone he made two dozen films Now, he's not a household name, but those who know him hold him in very high regard. Yeah, that if you look on Letterboxd right now, there are a lot of English-speaking critics who, four stars, five stars, when people talk about this director, he's got a vibe and a mood that just clicks with people. Yeah, I was going to say, I became aware of him through Letterboxd. Mm -hmm. The posters for certain movies, like Celluloid Nightmares and Muscle, started to just like keep showing up and like they're pretty distinctive posters you see the poster for splatter naked blood you remember it and the people giving them four or five stars oftentimes are people who are not logging like other porny kind of stuff mm-hmm. you know? which is interesting because his movies sato's movies deal in some very extreme subject matter like rape incest bestiality sadomasochism bodily mutilation pedophilia any aberration you can think of is in these movies and yet to a certain group of cinephiles who are not necessarily like pornographically minded or oriented he is a beloved figure but isn't that just the love for any kind of extreme pushing the boundaries filmmakers that if you look at a sato film like the ones that go like all the way they have the same kind of sensations even though that the Sato films are not real, of like Mondo films. I don't know if I would compare them to Mondo films exactly, uh, because again, I think the people watching these movies, and maybe I'm creating a straw man in my head, mm. um, but I don't necessarily think there are people who are always looking for the extremes. When I say looking for the extremes, I mean to tackle them, not to give them a thrill from seeing it. Well, I definitely think that these movies, there's a lot in them that would resonate in the current moment, mm-hmm. and maybe we can tease that out. I haven't I don't have a list of things things in front of me that would rest well okay all the things that he's obsessed with you know alienation in voyeurism yeah through media yeah alienation in modern urban spaces even just in this particular moment that we're in where let's face it there's a lot of um, anxiety around matters of sex we're not having enough of it those birth numbers are too low right will I agree we're not having enough of that mm-hmm. uh, but I mean these are movies that I just enumerated a list of perversions there it's mm-hmm. like these are movies that live in a space that is uh, live in spaces that are very uncomfortable and yet they deal in feelings that are very common and universal I mean more than pedophilia or bestiality or any of this shit the movies are about loneliness. Mm-hmm. And Sato is holding up to the mirrors to the people dropping their pants in the pink cinemas in Japan that are watching these films. And so I think that maybe these places or these films create like psychological spaces within the viewers to explore difficult ideas, difficult feelings that there aren't spaces for. 
And I should point out, so the movies that we're talking about today, when you hear us describe them, a lot of them have been distributed by pink companies. And I'll give a little bit of description of what a pink film is a little bit later. They are weird and alienating. The sex is very cold and distant. But also quite extreme at times. Yes. Uh, And you may be wondering, wait, how did he keep doing this if it wasn't like, you know, erotic for the people seeing it? He made a lot of movies. If you scroll through his filmography, especially if you the posters, there's a whole bunch of, um, let us say, more general ones more that people are not watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I guess some of the ones that we're going to be talking about are the ones that are the most famous ones, mm-hmm. which might be the ones that deconstruct or undermine or interrogate the form a little bit. But I mean, these movies that we watched also for the most part, like deliver the goods. Oh, yes. I mean, if you're looking for that specific thing as well. Yeah. And also like the ones that we watch typically blur the line between softcore erotica and horror too. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're easier ones maybe for like a crossover cult genre appeal. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that like splatter naked blood is the one that's at the top of the list, just based on the title as well. So yeah, this is a name that I knew just from seeing Letterboxd. I don't know a lot about Japanese pinku movies. I was going to ask you, like, did you read the big Jasper Sharp book on the subject? Uh, I just flipped through it, but but (laughs) I just needed to see the photos. Then I was done. (laughs) Oh, I was just so worn out after watching <laughs> yeah. all these movies. I can't open these pages now. Oh, well, back on the shelf. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I didn't know a lot about Sato going in. And I had seen zero of his films up until a week ago. And now I've seen five of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to say, these movies, it took me a while to kind of figure out a way into them. Mm-hmm. And then, But it's almost like they figured out a way into me. Because <laughs> these movies got under my skin after a while. And I, I think these are good movies. I'm recovering from the experience of this week. Because like the, the energy coming off these things, the vibe, the tone of these movies is so specific. Is so... Miserable? So miserable, but also so real. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not even making sense. They make me feel, basically, in a certain sense, that like by mirroring these kind of feelings of alienation that we've all been through, but in its purest form on screen, there's an association that's made there as well. These are movies, yeah, about misery and coldness and alienation that are not afraid to be miserable. These mm. are movies about evil that are not afraid to be thought of as evil. So I'm going to go through a few bullet points of what a pink film is japan i'm not sure what the situation around it there's books there's documentaries on it i'm not the pink film expert these are technically softcore films well i mean as as anyone as probably most people know you can't show pubic hair in in japan how would i know that i would have to watch some video or something online wouldn't i (laughs) yeah i i I guess so i learned that through visitor q where he's parodying that the takashi miike film that's right like anytime the mosaic over uh genitals yeah yeah it'll it'll be blurred out or it'll be pixelated that makes it hotter (laughs) well i guess it must because the fact that you can't show it has never stopped the japanese from showing it (laughs) (laughs) absolutely And so these films, the pink films specifically, there were a bunch of companies coming out of the late 60s into the 70s. They shoot these films on film. They shoot them in, I mean, according to some people, three to five days, not very long. But when you compare them to even like at the top of the American making porno films, they are not one tenth as slick as the Japanese ones. Yeah. I mean, these movies look like real movies. Mm -hmm. They're an hour long, typically. Yes. And the reason for that is that Pink theaters uh, supposedly would do double bills, and that's why they were an hour long, so you get like a two-hour experience out of it. Now, I know they still make pink movies today. Do they? I'm not sure. I know that recently. So 
there's another kind of category called Ro- Roman pornos. No, they are not pornos. They're still softcore films. Wait, what's the difference between a pink movie and a Roman porno? Roman pornos are made by Nikatsu, which is a big uh, studio in Japan. So they're more slick and more expensive. And that Nikatsu did like a neo-Roman porno thing recently. So a bunch of those movies in that style with big directors... Gian Sono uh, were made and they came out so it was like a wave of those and what's beneath a pink film is uh, AV which is adult video and that is just like mostly improvised basically kind of like I don't want to say gorilla but you know off the cuff like you shoot those probably in a day or two and those films typically do have unsimulated sex in them right? yes they yeah. do but Again, there's mosaics over the genitals. You see no penises, no vaginas. I heard a director in a documentary on Pink Film say he could show pubic hair if the person is taking a shower, but they could not go directly from a shower to sex. That was part of the censorship. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. But who are we to speak, Will? We do not know Jap. You know, maybe it's changed, that documentary from 2003. So anything goes now on the internet. So I don't know a lot about Sato's biography. Mm-mm. I mean, it just seems there's not a lot of biographical information about Adam just seems to be a guy who uh, started making films in the 80s. Very young. He was 25 years old when he started. And he said, and I heard this from a lot of interviews I read with Pink directors, that they couldn't get into the studio system. They were like, Kinji Fukusaku, like, he went to university for, like, film school stuff. He was the elite. If we wanted to make films, we could do it in Pink Films. And the thing about Pink Films is most people categorize it as... As long as you have like five to seven sex scenes, and that seems like a lot, especially in the ones that we watched, and that three women get topless, they don't care what you do because that is delivered on. And that is why there's so much invention and you can get these very kind of like auteurish films within the context of that. And it should also be pointed out, not only were they shot very quickly, but according to a doc I watched, they were also shot on Aeriflex's 16 millimeter, which are very loud cameras. And because they're so loud, they didn't shoot sync sound. And because they didn't shoot sync sound, they had to dub the movie afterward, which all the movies we talk about have that airless dubbed quality to them. Yeah, there's a weird silence mm-hmm. in these films. Sometimes replaced by the hum of the technology that Sato loves so much to include in all of his films. Well, I don't know quite where to start with the film, so I'll just start with the one that I watched first, which is Splatter Naked Blood. Same. You click on that one at the top. All right, let's see what everybody's talking about. 1995. Now, this is the story of IG, who is a lonely young man, a scientist who creates a substance that can turn pain into pleasure. Because he just wants sadness to go away and to happiness to reign, right? That's right. He's just a good man. <laughs> yeah. Filming women across the apartment with his camcorder. His mother is also a scientist, a much more professional scientist, and she's currently undergoing an experiment involving a birth control method. Warning, listener, if you don't want to hear some disgusting things, you're about to, because we're going to talk about it. Oh, yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. Skip to the end of the episode. That's <laughs> you know, funny. We spend the first five minutes of this talking about how, look, cinephiles love this guy. This guy is like a crossover figure. And then we're going to talk about the most disgusting filmmaker we've ever tackled. What do you think it tastes like cutting off a woman's labia and then eating it? The woman herself, her labia. <laughs> Delicious. Folks, I'm so sorry you had to hear that. <laughs> that is in the most popular film by this filmmaker. And this uh, one, not a lot of sex in it. Oh, well, yeah. So I I was going to say that, yeah, the mother, she's doing this experiment with three women who she's going to test a new birth control pill and he or or a new birth control method. And the son, IG, taints the birth control with this new happiness serum that he's developed uh, that turns pain into pleasure. Now, all three of the women 
react to this in different ways. Uh, none of them good. No. One woman discovering, discovers that piercings give her pleasure. So then we get a uh, Return to the Living Dead 3 situation. So it's not that bad. You remember that stand-up with uh, the woman all covered in the piercings all across her body? They had those in video stores. Yeah, once she starts stabbing through her arm. Arm in vivid detail with uh, a very sharp implement. Uh, there's another one who loves food and then starts to... starts to Deep fry herself. Starts to deep fry herself. Starts cutting off certain parts of the body. See, these things are tame because the Simpsons did that. There was a Treehouse of Horror episode where Homer eats himself piece by piece. Okay, you say it's tame, but there's there's <laughs> one shot in this movie involving a, a part of the body in the upper half of the body. Oh, okay. You, you were sensitive to that? You were like, no. Yeah, actually, I was really... I, I gagged. You know what's weird is that like that act of violence was popularized, even though I don't think you see it completely on screen in Itchy the Killer. It happens. Does it? Yeah, it it's a so cut long. and it's a pressed against oh, glass the, and with a piece of glass oh right across. The texture of it, just <laughs> it looked, I mean, it, through my fingers, it looked so real. Oh my God. I, you know, as the Marquis de Sade told us, pain becomes pleasure, mm. pleasure becomes pain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What I'm most struck by in this, well, not what, I, what I'm most struck by is a woman cutting off part of her vagina, but, <laughs> but what I'm second most struck by is just the the vibe of this movie which is so cold so i don't know what i'm looking for everyone can express happy yeah express their misery in very specific ways like one young woman said that she has something wrong with her hearing so she hears everything very loudly and she's like this beautiful field uh i hate it the bugs everywhere but the the way these images are presented is beautifully and then they're telling you that these characters are miserable within this context and then there are a lot of other images though that are quite cold Mm -hmm. like the the way that he renders the city in this movie and and all his other movies it's not like he he doesn't manufacture ugliness exactly it's just there's something very cold and objective well it's all about like the framing and the vibe like people should understand that like the top tier sado that we watched it's not like bad either like we're not saying that oh it's just the way that they made it that the vibe comes out of it like this is all very carefully chosen very carefully photographed and you know i mean they're beautiful movies yes some of them shot on film some of them are wonderfully lit like the bedroom for instance which also sorry the bedroom also goes by the title unfaithful wife shameful torture which i like better (laughs) and i mean all of his films also deal with technology in very odd ways like splatter naked blood has a woman who can't sleep interacting with a cactus and having hallucinations with it yeah she she has this vr set yeah a vr headset that gives her something almost better than sleep Mm -hmm. and she sleep she does it in front of a cactus that is somehow like it's almost like a mantra Mm -hmm. that she focuses on and then later on there's a threesome and they're all like having sex in front of the cactus there's cactus sex (laughs) yeah yes and it should also be pointed out that like sato just gives you in these dreamlike spaces just enough to be like but what was that like, what was he trying to say? Like, in Splatter Naked Blood, there's the whole backstory with the father who's obsessed with the light in the distance, which causes him to disappear, and then comes back later with a woman <laughs> just not dead, but completely opened up like a Tom Savini special effect on a bed that someone then jumps into. Yeah, so I watched this one, and I wasn't quite sure what to make of it, to be honest, and mm-hmm. then I moved immediately on to Muscle, which is notable as one of his several gay-themed pinkus. Now, I can't speak... I don't know Sato's biography, but I saw some people say like, ah, this is, you know, a gay film directed by a straight guy. Like he made a number of films for a pink gay like production company. And this is his most famous one. 
it's famous too because some of his major preoccupations are in this one notably like sadomasochism mm. and power dynamics and relationships it should be pointed out that like sadomasochism is a running theme through a lot of japanese pink film and even roman porno like bondage rape they all appear in those like this is not like a sado preoccupation it's just the well i mean it is if we see the movies that he's making but it's a way that he approaches it again i'm sure people can find if this is hitting their specific mark everybody else though would be like oh man this like just layer of gloom over everything happening well this one i like quite a bit and I mean, okay, just to give you guys an idea of how this man got under my skin this week and warped my brain and destroyed me, I watched this one a second time, mm-hmm. which is easy to do because it's an hour long. But it's like, I don't know, after I watched five of these movies, I felt like I finally was getting close to figuring it out. Well, Muscle is one as well that like it has a very like hazy structure that's important by the way some of these movies are a little hard to follow yes and sometimes there'll be big twists at the end and you're like and that i guess that brings it all together that this person we thought is someone else and also muscle goes in and out of dreams and Mm -hmm. reality sometimes without announcing itself but the plot is that there's this guy who's an editor of a japanese muscle magazine you know basically like a gay themed magazine he falls in love with this model who's in the magazine they have this short but intense affair that becomes very sadomasochistic becomes you know in their sex they're you know cutting each other and doing stuff like that and it climaxes with this guy, the editor, cutting off his lover's arm. Yeah, this is act one. Because then that guy goes to jail for 10 years, gets out, and finds his lover's arm in like a tube that has like liquid in it that he carries around. Preserved. Yeah, preserved. I mean, I don't think you preserve them like that. It like It's like bluish liquid that it's floating in. So he spends, you know, act two, most of act three of the movie, trying to find mm-hmm. his, his lover. Yeah. Uh, We don't know why, like, is he going to confront him? Will he apologize? What's going to happen at the end of all of this? So there is some explicit simulated sex in this movie, all of which looks quite unpleasant, I think. Lots of uh, licking underwear. Like that. that, Well, because you you you, can't show. You can't show a dick. But what you can show is a guy licking the tidy whities mm-hmm. over a dick yeah so, and so there's a lot of that i hear in the sado gay movies uh so yeah a lot of the middle of it though is this kind of i wouldn't call it a mystery story it's him no. going from place to place it's kind know. of like a quest film almost or an odyssey if you will yeah and there's not there's not a strong sense of momentum there Mm-mm. exactly it's him going from these spaces one after another all of them sort of depopulated you know cruising spaces basically the bathroom here the waterfront there talking to people trying to find the guy having some very hostile encounters the mood throughout is quite languid and quite melancholy there's this feeling of enormous loss throughout oh but what about those final moments though when they come this big old boy like revelation but uh, not speaking specifically of that but also that like that last 30 seconds oh incredible where it's like oh i didn't think it was gonna go there like what does this mean about the rest of the movie and i'm not saying like it's again a another gigantic twist but it's like oh emotionally what does this mean so what does this movie mean to you love is complicated and you know someone could be hurting you but you're still attracted to them pain is pleasure you know yeah as pinhead would say yeah and sometimes it's hard to tell in a relationship uh what is painful and what is what is what are the limits of those things too of like how far can you take it before you can't anymore and it has to change things that are painful and things that are nurturing are sometimes it's sometimes difficult to tell what the line is between them and sometimes Mm -hmm. they can blur together and this is exactly the kind of very difficult conversation that i think a movie like this becomes a 
a space for people to live in and think about mm-hmm. because that's not the sort of conversation that's like pe- people want to I mean Gerard Damiano films don't I mean they're downers uh, but they don't usually deal with those kind of things Gerard Damiano films are about how sex, uh, Catholic guilt sex, sex is, is bad, bad. Yes. yes do you think that these Sado films are saying that though I don't think they're saying sex is bad I think what they are saying though is that sex is a very powerful and dangerous m- mode of communication yes but I also may, perhaps that it there's limits to what it can communicate as well yeah that if you lean on that then it will just alienate you further yeah and sex is also though like a way to feel something Mm -hmm. and that's certainly the case in the bedroom i mean it's a way to feel something but to what ends also known as again unfaithful wife colon shameful torture Mm -hmm. which is about a woman who is in a loveless marriage to this salary man husband who is not giving her anything sexually. Any everybody knows that Japan was in the midst of this big economic boom at the time. So to do a little armchair social analysis, yes. It's kind of like, you know, American beauty, right? It's yeah, like, you have everything, why aren't you happy? Exactly. Yeah. And so one way that she seeks to become happy is by going to this underground sex dungeon, which is beautifully lit, mm-hmm. you know, very dark with sharp primary colored lighting and taking a pill that puts her under and having men come and have their way with her. So, and one of these men, by the way, okay, go get into that before I talk is the guy, I forget his name, but he is an actual killer. Yes. He's a cannibal who uh, killed and ate someone in France and he got off on a weird technicality. If you read, Oh, that's why his family was very rich, which probably had something to do with it. Right. And he got off on some sort of mental health technicality. Mm-hmm. And then he lived the rest of his life in Japan, a figure of notoriety. Writing and restaurant reviews. He wrote restaurant reviews. He also like appeared in porno films mm-hmm. and was just generally a public nuisance and embarrassment. And he is, you might know him because he was the subject of the movie Cannibal from a few years ago. Well, he's in this movie mm-hmm. and he's on screen for about 15 seconds or so. And you see him like fondling this woman and making a face and once you know that you think oh my god this is like i felt nauseous when i heard that honestly but would you want to see this movie if you heard that he was in it just out of curiosity i don't know if if i if i would or not because didn't we talk about that like um i mean it's not the same thing but uh, mishima was in that other movie like i gotta see this one well, yeah i think this guy's more evil than mishima yes <laughs> especially the fact that he got to live out his life well uh, his presence in this movie is sort of like i i would say it's roughly analogous to the killing of animals in cannibal holocaust mm. because in cannibal holocaust when you see the animals die on screen it's morally repugnant to watch that but the function that it serves in the movie is to say okay, anything can happen in this movie. Like, it serves a semi-defensible artistic function, even though morally you look at it and it's, it's awful. If people are trying to kind of, like, wrap their head around what these films are, are i think that something you can use as kind of like a comparison is like early david cronenberg that's what they feel like especially the way that like they're not science fiction films but they'll be like sci-fi ideas whether it be in the vr in splatter or even in this one the like weird sex dungeon where they take this future drug which is not really that much of a future drug but it's presented in that manner there's certainly body horror Mm -hmm. and they also much like early david cronenberg they seem to be bringing together just a lot of ambient uneases and uncertainties Mm -hmm. around and lonely 
loneliness. I mean, that's what early David Cronenberg, that's what he loved tackling, the way the body kind of morphs having to deal with this kind of thing. Well, one that I watched this week that I know you didn't watch and that I think just by its very title would be a very hard hard sell is mm-hmm. 1987's Lolita Vibrator Torture. Mm. That's what it's called, folks. Lolita Vibrator Torture. And you know what? It says it all right there. Lolita. Seemingly portrayed as underage women, even though they were all overage. They were all overage. Yes. Okay, guys. Vibrator Torture. It says what it does right there on the box. It's about a young schoolgirl. Oh, my God. I feel so disgusting even telling you folks what this is about. It's about a young schoolgirl. Remember, folks, this was shown theatrically. Theatrically. Okay. Yes. And you can buy it on DVD right now on Amazon. In North America. Yeah. In yeah, North America. In North America. So anyway, it's a young schoolgirl. She's got the Sailor Moon outfit and everything. And she's trying to find, you know, she's handing out flyers trying to find out what happened to her missing friend. Mm-hmm. And there's this youngish guy, a photographer who wants to help her, but he, he abducts her. He takes her to his sex dungeon that's all full of, it's all like the walls are wallpapered with the photos of women that he's like tortured and killed, basically on the cusp of them dying. And he starts to do the same to her, but clearly she's like kind of getting off on this, this sadomasochistic push-pull. And over the course of the movie, the tables eventually turn in some crucial ways, and you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, my God, this sounds awful and indefensible. And, you know, maybe it is. But but what I'll also tell you is beautifully made film shot on film again, beautifully lit. Uh, technically, I have no, no faults, but also the vibe, the mood, the atmosphere, the loneliness and sadness conveyed in this movie and in these characters, especially the photographer. Like, I don't know. I watched this movie and I was actually quite deeply moved by it. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Now, I didn't watch this one, so I can't speak to it, but I I was thinking of like what we know of Japanese, the pink films, the Roman pornos, those kind of fetishistic qualities like assault are always out on the forefront. Like, you see them in all these movies. I was thinking of like, is there an analog in North America? What I can only think of is like the Ruffies, right? Yeah. That that period before hardcore came in. Well, and also, I would say just if you go on any porn website. Well, that now, now, I meant like, you know, in the decades when movies were playing theatrically. Yeah, I guess it is the Ruffies. Mm. Yeah. But then there's, and there's also, a little bit like forced entry and stuff yeah, like that. Like, like Taming of Rebecca, that sort of movie. But it was never like the dominant kind of thing in the porn industry right i think i think you're right Mm -hmm. yeah so i'm curious to know like what the cultural differences is in a documentary on pink film one of the directors like post-world war ii you know we had to kind of hunker down all these people who were soldiers and like couldn't think of their sexual urges and then under american occupation and like this is the way that things express themselves i mean it's probably stereotypical to say, mm-hmm. but I mean, we all we've all heard the stereotype that Japan is this buttoned up country yeah. that also like, expresses itself in the most you know, out there ways. Go and get like used panties in a vendor. <laughs> oh, that old 1990 chestnut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, I don't know if that's actually true, but I don't know. I've seen these movies. <laughs> You're going to judge again. We say this every episode, the whole country based on this one filmmaker. Well, you know what? I just keep seeing these movies <laughs> one week after another. They I mean, keep, keep painting a picture of this country. It could be a self-selecting choice, though. So, yeah, you know. maybe. I'm sure they also make Miyazaki films, which <laughs> <Yes>. are <laughs> very popular as well. That's true. So another one that we both watched is Celluloid Nightmares. Yeah. T- uh, tell them about this one. This one is probably out of all the ones we watched, the most meta one in the sense that it's dealing directly with basically 
what we're consuming. But almost all the movies that we watch all have like a character who's like filming something and taking it in through videos. But in this specific case, it's about... I guess like kind of like a porn theater where you can watch VHS things. Oh, yeah. Like like peep show booths, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, A weird videotape shows up of a woman being assaulted and it looks real. So somebody who works there decides I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And this again, very hazy. Like it feels like this Japanese city that we're seeing is stuck between two like night and day that will never end. This uh, I think that outwardly this one is like stylistically easy to pinpoint. Like the lead wears like a red raincoat the entire time. And that its main gimmick is just an updated version of Peeping Tom, where in Peeping Tom, the protagonist was killing people with his tripod that had spikes in it. In this one, it's a video camera that a knife comes out and then the person stabs people with. Yeah, I don't have much more to say about this one. I mean, it's looking at the audience being like, is this what you want, you sickos? Yeah, you can write a, you can write your essay on this one. Mm-hmm. It even ends with like the protagonist looking into the camera, staring right at the audience after everything has happened. Yeah, this one, I, I mean, I like this one, but it didn't quite hit it, me. It didn't hit you the way the other ones did. I think just because it's almost like you watch this one and it's like, oh yeah, this is this is the one that almost begs to be critically legitimate. <laughs> he was trying too hard with this one for you. Yeah, yeah. I and for so. people that complain, oh, they call it celluloid nightmares, but it's actually video. I say the nightmare is the one you're watching on screen. The movie <laughs> itself is a celluloid nightmare, and they shot on film. Title makes complete sense. So I've only seen five of his films. I'd love to see more. Not immediately. I mean, I need a break. I watched I another a, one. Need, oh, what'd you watch? I watched one. Did you watch that one? A, a woman, a dog, and a horse. No, that uh, one looks good. Uh, he, I mean, <laughs> that's his bestiality one. And I think either that one is also called Nay Means Yes, or Nay Means Yes, <laughs> or it's a different horse space movie that he made didn't go into deep research but uh that's a funny title that then sends a chill down your spine i watched one called survey map of a paradise lost this one didn't do much for me and uh, people really seem to like it especially in the last half hour it starts with 25 minutes of like bondage sex and I was like, Will's well, like, I should have watched this one. If you like that, I yeah. don't know. Not really my thing. No, but yeah. so I was sitting there watching. I'm like, all right. And this is movie five of Sato that I watched. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I get it. Like big twist at the end. What does it mean? Mm-hmm. Yep, let's keep moving. The question is, of course, is there value in this, Will? Oh, unquestionably. Yeah, und- uh, undeniably. I mean, there's great aesthetic value in mm-hmm. these films. They're extremely well made. And uh, there's recurring preoccupations and obsessions and the way these movies make me feel is like nothing I've experienced. And if you want all the big ones uh, with English subtitles, they're all out there. A lot DVD companies in that boom where people like Synapse were putting like so many pink and Roman porno films out on DVD. Like there's tons of Sado films out there. There's even one of them. I think it is the one I just mentioned on the DVD. There's a 30 minute interview with Sado. Very like affable, smiling guy talking about the disgusting movies that he made. Well, I'm glad to hear that he's affable. Mm-hmm. That he's not like closed off. And, I wouldn't like, want to run into him on a dark night. <laughs> so if you want to send us any letters, you can do so at important cinema club podcast at gmail.com. So this letter is from Dennis 
Prather. And he goes, Dear Will and Justin, I listen to your podcast fairly regularly. I like your eclectic topics. I am writing to share this blog post that I thought you two would enjoy. My wife and I played a game to determine the best late period theatrical Three Stooges movies. And this is what we came up with. I insisted on... Late, late period theatrical Three Stooges. Yeah, late period. So we're not going to get um, that Phil Carlson film they made. So like late champ Joe Besser era. Mm. And I also included Kook's Tour as will be apparent when reading, because I have a lot of affection for it. Okay, so the Curly Joe era. Yes. Yeah. Those were like the big theatrical. We talked about this in many an episode that the Three Stooges... Their shorts became really popular in syndication. So they were like, hey, old timers want to make some movies? They're like, we're as good as we've ever been. And they hired just some guy off the street named Curly Joe Dorita. <laughs> How dare they you, They found Will. a guy on the street and said, hey, would you like a bowl of soup? And he said, yes. And they said, could <laughs> you, you got to shave your head? Could you shave your head and come on stage with us and take some slaps? I mean, at this point with the podcast, every episode we should have a Curly Joe corner because we've been talking about him endlessly. <laughs> you know, I shit talk Curly Joe every week here, but I love him. Uh, yeah. You should talk Curly Joe every week. And then if you walk down your hall, you have a piece of his like boxer shorts. I on eBay bought an actual piece of Curly Joe's shorts. And his stationery. And his stationery. So his hog like flapped up against those because Curly went commando. And, you know, next, hopefully a piece of his corpse. <laughs> so or the whole corpse stuffed and mounted. Like Norman Bates's mother. <laughs> yep. So I thought it would be fun to just go through this list and see if you agree or disagree with the list uh, listings of this obviously we're not trying to make fun of the letter writer but i just like the idea of going through every theatrical so does this include the shorts or is no it... just eight feature films okay the curly joe stuff let's yes. go let's go let's uh start at the bottom of the curly joe movies which one do you think would be at the bottom in my opinion three stooges in orbit so the one at the bottom here is three stooges go around the world in a daze okay do you remember that one at all yeah, I saw it during the pandemic, actually, mm. by myself. Uh, no, so obviously not very memorable. Well, what I remember is in the first scene... Your, your laughs echoed through the empty house. So two things. Curly Joe does a sumo fight with a sumo wrestler in Japan. Sounds great. Very funny. And secondly, at the beginning of the movie, Mo has a British accent, and then I think he loses it. <laughs> okay. And not commented upon? Yeah, not commented on. <laughs> All right, number seven. This is Gold Raiders. I'm not even familiar with oh, this, this one. Oh, this is a Shemp. Shemp, yeah. 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 1951, the only feature to have Shemp in it? Yeah, it's a kind of a Poverty Row Western. I think Hugh O'Brien's in it. Lyle Talbot. 58 minutes? Yeah, I, I don't mind Gold Raiders. I don't know. I think it's I think it's uh, passes the time pretty painlessly. Uh, Snow White and the Three Stooges, 1961. Famous color stooge film started by Frank Tashlin. I haven't seen that one since I was a kid. We should do a Patreon episode. Uh, we should do that one. Isn't there an ice ballet in that one that's really famous and the goes on the forever? The movie is ice skating themed. It stars, <laughs> it stars a woman who was actually like a real life ice skater. Yeah. Yeah. Number five. Have Rocket Will Travel. Yeah, we saw that one pretty recently. Mm -hmm. Not not so hot. Four, The Outlaws is coming. I would, that's number one, one with a yeah, bullet for yeah. me. Three, The Three Stooges in Orbit. Oh, I just want to hear, does he have a rationale? Probably my favorite of the films. Emil Sitka is a treasure. A lot of Emil Sitka in this film. And Wait, me, if it's your favorite of the films, why is it number three? Well, maybe we'll get into this. And me and my wife were discussing how the best pie fights in this one and how there are, are actually jokes meant for adults. Jokes meant for adults. I don't know what that means. I'm trying to think what 
I mean, you don't think the slapping and the eye poking was for adults? <laughs> I mean, kids should not see that. It's that is a recreatable adult. act. Yeah. Well, number two, Kook's tour. Oh, okay. Sorry, <sighs> that bottom of the list. <laughs> like, put it at the bottom. That is like a Death March Stooges film. Yeah, like they're it, so old. It's like, why not put Faces of Death at the top of the list? <laughs> Wait, what is Kook's tour for people that don't know? Well, that was the last movie they ever made. They were all deep into their seventies, and, and they look it. They look it like they're in their late nineties. It was an unsold TV pilot where the idea was we're retired and now we're gonna go on uh we're gonna go visit national parks and it was supposed to be kind of like a travel comedy show Mm -hmm. and i mean they look awful and the tomfoolery is a little weak but i mean you should you know you know now that i'm thinking of it maybe it's number one (laughs) maybe maybe it's kind of nice hanging out with the stooges yeah you know saying goodbye to old friends before they go to the great beyond i mean did i enjoy visiting my grandpa in the rest home sure (laughs) i I guess i didn't actually no it was terrible So bottom of the list. It was terrible seeing him have Alzheimer's. <laughs> yes. Wait, how far were they from death when they made Kook's tour? Well, Larry had a stroke while he was making it. Oh, yeah, that's right. And Curly Joe, he outlived them all, didn't he? Yes, although he was not... I mean, if you watch Kook's tour, you'll notice he's not in the best health. Oh, you mean like earlier when he's just like whip-cracking good? Like I'm just saying that there get to be... How can I put this nicely? There get to be certain mobility issues with mm-hmm. Curly Joe. And number one, Three Stooges meet hercules uh, we watched that for patreon didn't we yeah it's not, i don't think it's that good no maybe one or two good gags but... i said that about all these movies to me i don't know outlaws... i mean all of them are not good right yeah. so you yeah. have to focus on specific things that would make them good okay to me outlaws is coming adam west adam west has the best gags has the best atmosphere the western kind of liberty mm-hmm. valence vibe and uh, the plot kind of works a mm-hmm. little bit yeah i mean i i'm just thinking about the hilarious scene in that where mo gets his feet glued to the floor and the other guys are using a crowbar to try to get him <laughs> up. i mean there are larfs in there yeah yeah so good list i can't believe you and your wife watched all of these films <laughs> i you know while i disagree with a lot of the list i commend the list mm-hmm. it, we all you put that stuff out there we should all be making lists like that and this is all fuel for debate mm-hmm. this is a very important issue <laughs> The Three Stooges feature film canon. And in fact, I want all of you listening to watch all of the Three Stooges feature films. Don't email us, though. Don't email us. No. But maybe do it in our Discord. Mm, Yeah. What are your... I don't want to make people watch the Three Stooges I do. (laughs) Don't you love movies? Uh, (laughs) That'll be on the box set we do where we uh, host each film. Oh, wow. Don't you love movies? (laughs) These are movies. <laughs> At what point does Vinegar Syndrome start releasing the Three Stooges films on Blu-ray in deluxe editions that we have nothing to do with? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> You'll buy them, though. $60. I'll buy anything. Yep. So thank you very much for that letter. If people have any questions or comments, send them at importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. What are we doing on our Patreon, Will? Well, we decided to continue the sleazy Japanese theme by watching... Probably the most famous tentacle anime porno of all time. <laughs> What's it called? Uh, Legend of the Overfiend. And we haven't watched it yet. We're going to watch it right after recording this. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's great. Yeah, we got all lubed up, ready to go. I mean, it had multiple sequels. It's infamous. I think it's mostly infamous for being like, can you believe this is animated? Especially in North America. So let's, yeah, let's find out. So if you want to hear our thoughts, check it out at patreon.com slash the important cinema club. The thing about you know, we're doing Japanese months. People are like, well, what anime are they going to do? Because we've got to do it, right? Are people saying that? Yeah, some people were asking. Yeah. All right, well, we should do an anime. Yeah, we will. The problem with anime is that, like, 
I know people would like us. Someone actually directly asked me, like, are you going to do like Hideaki Anno? And it's like, I would like to. He did feature films. But if we talk about him, people are going to be like, you got to talk about Neon Genesis Evangelion. That's 25 episodes. I do want to see that. I know. I'm sorry, guys, though. We only, these episodes, we do them in a week. Yes. (laughs) And I thought about giving Will, like, oh, maybe I'll tell him at the beginning of the month. You know, watch 25. It's just so much work. And I know what would happen. But like the week before, you're like, I oh, fuck, I haven't watched any of these. I got to stuff them all. Into- you know me. <laughs> yep. So instead, we're going to be doing someone who actually has been getting a lot of momentum recently. It's Masaki Yuasa. I apologize if I mispronounce this. This is a director that I've known for a while, specifically for a feature film called Mind Game, which came out in uh, 2004 and is just bananas, like complete total creative vision and what's interesting is that like i think i saw that movie close to when it was released and he was a director that everyone was like when is he gonna make more feature films when is he gonna get more opportunities in the last like 10 years he's just been cranking them out even last year he released oh two years ago he directed one called inuo which is really fun and it's about like music and other wild stuff like that so this is a director I feel like we can tackle because it's feature films. We will not be watching any of his anime series, even though people are like, you got to watch Devilman, uh, Devilman Crybaby. It's, it's too long. Even at 250 minutes, that's like two two-hour feature films. Will's nodding. He's like, I will watch Devilman Crybaby. No, no, I was just nodding. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. too long. But uh, so we're going to be tackling that. Uh, you don't usually watch anime like that, right, Will? I mean, no, but Akira. <laughs> That's I've seen Akira. Is that yeah. the last one that you watched? Like when uh, we did it many years uh, ago. I've I've seen um, Ninja Scroll. Oh, I saw. I watched Spirited Away this year. <laughs> okay, so I'm excited. You, this is something that you actually don't usually watch. I not. Uh, yeah, I'm very. I'm excited too. So that's what we're going to be doing next week. Until then, my name's Justin the Glue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. Just a reminder that we are still continuing to do the important Cinema Club Cinematech screenings every Monday at 8 p.m. at twitch.tv slash importantcinemaclub. Each screening will be a movie of an upcoming subject on the show. If you'd like to vote, become a mega member of Patreon at patreon.com slash theimportantcinemaclub. And also, I'd just like to thank some of our new patrons, who include Jordan Friedland, Will Barship, Maria L., Joseph DeLeo, David Wynn, June Lindsay, and Zach. Thank you all for becoming patrons. We couldn't do it without you. Hey, Will, the theatrical experience is about to get better. Oh, yeah. So are they going to get new bulbs in the incredibly dim projectors that seemingly have not been upgraded since 3D came out? No. What are they going to do? Are they going to promise less than 10 minutes of advertising? No. Oh, well, what are they going to do? You want the best seat in the house? Well, naturally. <laughs> well, you're going to pay extra for it. Oh, okay. And if you want the value seat, you have to be a member of the theatrical like AMC club to get that value seat. So this is what AMC is doing in the United States. Yes. They're- we don't have AMC in Canada. So we, we have Cineplex. To. Yeah. Until we shot them out on rail. Probably Cineplex did some like nefarious things to like shut them down. Yeah. Cineplex has a monopoly in Canada and they do a great job. <laughs> Oh, so good. I just love going to theaters and having an awful time. (laughs) Oh, just awful. Awful sound. Bad projection. Mm -hmm. You know, the seats are crumbling. (laughs) I love going to the Young and Dundas in downtown Toronto. Toronto's grindhouse. And seeing that mural of... Oh, I love that mural because it's all like 
the less famous film they could pay for to get on that mural. Okay, well, throughout, so throughout the theater, there are, there are, you know, things on the wall, like pictures on the wall of various great directors. It'll say Scorsese, and then the movie behind will be Gangs of New York. <laughs> yes. Or it'll be, okay, the funniest one is like Avnet, and it's fried green tomatoes. <laughs> Oh, that great filmmaker, John Av. Like, you could go to that AMC and look at every... It will be the film that you would never pick from them. It's amazing. Okay, so, what are you talking about? What mural? Well, I'm thinking in the main entrance, you know, when you look up and there's that big circular mural that mm-hmm. surrounds the main entrance that has Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz and it's got John Travolta from Pulp Fiction, but it's also got, like, Halle Berry holding her Oscar and Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker, and it's got the the charlie's angels the cameron diaz ones it has a lot of things that were like really popular 20 years ago well so most of these cineplexes some of them still have like gigantic small soldier figurines like floating in the air hanging from wires and this is what you see when you go to a movie theater yes you see a place that is all but announcing we're the past (laughs) and we're gonna do as little effort as possible to make a good theatrical experience. I love it. You know, it, it's been a slow... When was the first time that you noticed that they would show movies in the wrong aspect ratio on a screen? And mm, you just see the Many bla- a time. The black bars on the top. And it wouldn't be masked. When we saw Pathan, it wasn't masked. And it was you saw those black bars on the top and bottom. And it never is anymore. And you're going to say, that's not a big deal. And it's not. It, it, yeah, but it's all the little things. Well, they add up. It adds up. You, you see that and subconsciously you think, this doesn't look much better than it does at home. Mm-hmm. And then you go home and watch it. And you can't share your Netflix password now. So. <laughs> Again, we've talked about the theatrical experience, Disney cinema. That's where we're going. Lock into those chairs. You have an annual membership. Okay, I'll tell you something. $3,000. I'll tell you something. When every theater closes, but mm. Disney owns one theater yeah. in every city and they only show their movies there. That will be a great fucking theater. Oh, you think so? I, and I hate to say this because this is a dystopian vision of the future to me. But Disney... Uh, they have that weird quality control. They, yes, yes. They will enforce an excellent theatrical experience. They will have the best sound and picture. They will keep their seats looking good. How is the Albion cinema, the Indian cinema, the screen is so bright and the sound sounds so good? What? The best theater in the city? I don't understand. They're great, yeah. I saw some people saying that this is basically the death of the four plus multiplex, like more than four screens. Yeah, eh, I'm not so bad. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fine. But getting back to that thing you originally raised, that AMC is for the select best seats raising the price. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you what you already know, which is I don't like it because no, it's bad. cinema is populist. Yes. It's not the opera. It's for the unwashed masses like us, you and me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The normal folks. And it's not going to be like that anyway because they got to squeeze every penny. Uh, it's fine. Don't worry. Like theater, AMC's going to go out of business next year and probably we'll, we'll be done with it. But the thing is, we've talked about this because, I mean, this is the theme of the podcast. People like going to the movies, though. They do. They do like going. But they like, don't like going to a bad theater. Like if you explain to someone, like, oh, we have magical devices. We can watch movies. We can have 80-inch screens in our home. People would be like, well, you would never go out. Yeah, some people do that. And then you feel miserable. Like, it's not fun to just only do that. Right. People want screening. Just do it nice. 
I'm talking to you, Cineplex. We want a new popcorn mascot ad every month when we go see the cinema. I don't want to watch that same popcorn mascot ad for two years. Two years! I agree. And I want a new mural in the lobby that has the stars of today, like <laughs> Timothy Chalamet mm-hmm. and uh, who, who? Tim th- Allen. Tim Allen. He's the star of today. <laughs> yeah. Who are the, ki- who are the who kids Who are the kids like? these days? Uh, mm, uh, uh, Tom Holland, right? <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I'm not going to say any name that you're going to be like. Like, ah, I don't like <laughs> movies anymore. That's the thing. <laughs> I mean, I love movies. Send them all my way. 